blessed Christmas and a merry one to you as well. You can wish me back too. <laughs> no, don't worry about it. You know, we have this little small pageant with the children and all that. And uh, it is actually very good for us as a church, for adults as well, for us to not just watch the children and kind of see, see the talent here. The point about it is not actually that, not for us to actually show uh, extreme creativity. That's not the whole idea, not to entertain. It's actually for us to, as a church, rehearse together the Christmas story. And we rehearse it in a way that it is acted out or it flows through us as individual people here, children in the 21st century. And so while we do clap the, for the children, and they've done, I think, a marvelous job, and all those who are um, helping to set it up, they've done a marvelous job. The, that is not actually the point. The point is that we actually, together with all of them, rehearse together and tell ourselves again the story that Christ actually came to redeem us. Amen? I'd like to share with you something that is from a passage that we have been looking at for quite a while, and it's in Luke chapter 1. And it has to do with Christmas. And I'd like to think in terms of Christmas in one way. If Christmas is nothing else, it has to do with longing. Christmas is about our longing. When Christ came, he came to meet our longings. As the Christmas carol says, other hopes and fears of all the, the years are met in thee tonight. And there is longing that Christ came to fulfill. Not cravings. Yeah, we have cravings for all kinds of things. Food, all kinds of things that are less than the best things. But we're talking about longings. God has put within us a longing, not only for meaning, but for Him. For it all to be worth it. A longing for all the suffering and all this, the, 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 the deprivation to all be worth it. It has to be something that is worth it for someone who lives through pain. The longing that we have is for something to make our misery worth it, well worth it. And these longings were actually uh, expressed with Zechariah. So let's have a look at this. Um, we are going to look at it from uh, verse 5 of Luke chapter 1. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord, verse 7, but they had no child. They had no child because Elizabeth was barren and because they were both advanced in years. So it was kind of past the time. 
Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, so you can see that Zacharias and Elizabeth had a routine, they had a certain pathway that they were going. In some ways it was predetermined. It looked like no, no child, no baby. It looked like you're just going to carry on a certain kind of orderly routine in life. Yeah? Um, life can sometimes become like that. We, can, we have equations all over our future and all of our, our existence uh, that kind of predetermine for us how things are going to be. And it, in spite of the fact that uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth were godly people, they were very faithful, they did their job, they did their service in the temple, there must have been a certain amount of the lack of anticipation, lack of expectation that things would be any different from what it was. And Christmas is about meeting that issue in our life. Yeah, let's have a look at that. According to the custom, verse 19 of the, of, sorry, verse 9, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by Lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. That's his job, that's his routine. Verse 10, and the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of incense offering. Verse 11, and an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. And Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. He will, you will have joy. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous, so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now Zacharias was not prepared for this, and he said to the angel, How will I know this for certain? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. And the people were waiting for Zacharias and were wondering at his delay in the temple. But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when the days of his priestly service were ended, he went back home. After these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant, and she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. I'll stop here for a little bit. So you see, there is a way in which there's longing and there's something that is missing in Zacharias and uh, Elizabeth's lives. But there's this longing there. And Christmas begins with this longing, this hole, the recognition of a hole that can only be filled by God. And uh, you see that they have a certain kind of an equation to their life. It's, there are three variables, A, B, and C, 
and everything of life was supposed to bound, be bound up with this, these three factors, whatever they were. She was barren. They were older. Their life was kind of winding down. And there was no expectation for anything beyond that. But it's very interesting that um, as the, he was going through this routine, and the longing had not, not actually been met yet, the angel came, and the angel, it says, stood at a certain specific space. The space was to the right of the altar of incense. He stood at the right of the altar of incense. The altar of incense in the temple was meant to signify the intercession, the prayers, the desires, and the longings of the people. And when the angel came, the angel came exactly at that spot where the longings and desires of the people were. And that is the beginning of Christmas. The beginning of Christmas has to do with the fact that in the, the certainties, the, 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 the givens, and the, 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 the trapped deterministic kind of expectations that we have, when we have longings, God comes to meet those longings and stand right there, right in the, to the right of our expectations and our prayers. Isn't that amazing? Christmas is nothing if it is only a management of our own disappointments, the management of our own unfulfillment. Christmas is much more radical than that. Christmas is only Christmas when God actually comes like the angel and comes and breaks in to all the, the things that we've been habituated to. And so I hope that today, in, the, in these few minutes that I'm speaking to you, something of a seed will be planted, a seed of expectation that doesn't come from just having optimism in op being of that optimistic type, but because God actually plants a message into you that is like the angel standing to the right, nearby your desires. Now, some people have given up on desires. I think Je uh, Zacharias and, and Elizabeth had actually given up on all his, his, their longings. And once you give up your longings, you actually cease to exist as a human person in the fullest sense of the word. You lose your future. You lose everything. But the angel came exactly to the point of his longings there, right to the right, just nearby the altar of incense. And the altar of incense was supposed to represent all the prayers, all the longings, all the desires, all the deep disappointments, all the deep prayings, the incessant hopes for their life, that their lives could be re redeemed from oppression, from lack, from uh, depletion. And the angel came to that place. My first point was this is to tell you that Christmas is nothing if it is not God coming to meet these longings. I want to say there are some of us who've stopped longing anymore. You've given up on any hope. You may be older, maybe younger, but I want to put it to you that God wants to re rekindle these things because Christmas 
only holds water, only has any significance if God comes in. Now that's saying something. Because Christmas has been celebrated for donkey's years. In the west as well as in the east. In the north and in the south. And Christmas is often celebrated without any expectation that God can break in to the routinized um, hopelessness. The, 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 the dull management of, of lower expectations. But Christmas is nothing if it is not filled with this God who could break in and burst those low expectations and come in. Zacharias wasn't ready for it. But this is what the angel said. Verse 4, you will have joy. Sorry, verse 14. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at the birth of this John the Baptist. That's not even Christ. That is actually John the Baptist getting ready for Christ. You will have joy. Now, today we have many people saying joy, defining joy in terms of really nothing more than just a good emotional feeling. In the Bible, joy means much more than that. Joy has to do with God breaking in. Joy has not only, is not only an emotion that's subjective. Joy has to do with God doing something unexpected. Joy has to do with the unexpected. Joy has to do with some disruption that takes place. That's the joy of the Lord. In the, in the, in the, in the Old Testament, the psalm says, um, when the Lord turned again, the captivity of Zion when they were in, in captivity. Then we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. It's talking about the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is something that breaks in from the other side, from God's side, from heaven's side. It doesn't begin with us. It doesn't start with us. You cannot generate joy. I know the media tells us that this is joyful and any little thing is joyful. We, we call joy by, we call any small thing a joy. And, you know, that's not to be minimized. But when the Bible talks about joy, it talks about God coming from the other side and meeting our longings. Joy is not just happiness. Happiness is more or less like a, a, an emotion that's based upon happenings. But the angel said, there's something going to happen and it will break into your routinized disappointment. Okay? your routinized way of managing things not happening, your routinized low expectations, something is going to break in. And that is called joy. You will have joy. And then he says, and gladness. Those of you who were here last, last Sunday, we talked a little bit about that. Joy is more than a subjective feeling. It has to do with an objective thing that comes at you. And, it, and not only that, it comes unexpectedly. It comes a little disruptively as well. It's actually quite troubling because the angel, when he came, Zacharias was troubled when he saw that. The joy of the Lord doesn't come from ourselves. It comes from God. And what the angel was, practice, was, was promising is that you will have joy. 
wow, not the kind of joy that comes that, that by, by trying to entertain ourselves or trying to make Christmas this time in which we try to get all the cravings that we have. That's okay, but that's nothing compared with what God has. God has joy, and he says, you will have joy. Wow, you will have joy. That is a tall promise for a man who's kind of past it in age. What the angel was saying is this, I understand the equations of your life. I understand that there are certain ways in which life is going to work that way. You are beyond, beyond redemption as far as having a baby is concerned. It is true. But when I say that you will have joy, I'm telling you that something is going to disrupt that. That is going to disrupt that order, that routinized low expectations. And before I go any further, I just want to invite you to just reflect upon yourself. Have you lost the ability to long for something more? For you, for your family, for your future? Have you lost the ability to long for something? Or perhaps you feel, I'm too old for this. My life is winding down. I have no life anymore. Or perhaps you're young and you have no expectations that life will be more than just the fulfillment of routinized disappointment and low expectation. God wants to open that up. And that's what the angel did. He stood by the side of all the longings and desires and all the prayers and said, you will have joy and gladness. Gladness has to do with an internal transformation that takes place because something great, something significant took place. As I said, let's say last, last Sunday, sometimes as Christians, we try to have such a good sporting attitude, a good attitude about things, and we say that joy is not based upon circumstances and and, and, uh, and, uh, and the happenings, we say joy is something that's internal. So as Christians, sometimes we can have a l- sort of a low expectation joy. And that is that, well, I'm going to have a good attitude. And because of that, I'm going to have joy, even though my life sucks like anything. Right? I want to put it to you that this joy is not a subjective thing. It's not just a good attitude. It's not just some kind of psychological way in which we try to fix ourselves and try to make it that we have joy, you know. Neither is it a thing that's based upon happenings either or circumstances. Joy is backed up by something solid. So the angel said, you are going to have joy and gladness because a miracle is going to take place. When the Bible talks about joy, it doesn't talk about something subjective, neither does it talk about something circumstantial. It talks about something solid. That's solid that God's going to be doing. Isn't that great? Christmas is nothing else if it doesn't have that solid backing. That's, I suppose, kind of radical, but really it's very old. That Christmas has to do with the fact that God meets us in the place of our longings. Isn't that amazing? And so I want to put it to you that actually, as the angel came 
personifying joy, joy, he came to Zacharias and he said, Zacharias, you've got to be prepared to let go of your safe ways of living life within the routine of safety, of not getting disappointed, remaining in the shallows, the shallow shores of uh, just ordinariness. You've got to, you've got to receive what God wants to do, or else you're not going to have Christmas. You're not going to have Christmas. Christmas is the most courageous thing you can actually have because it requires us looking back and, uh, and the way in which life has been and all those, the, 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 the deterministic ways in which we've come to this and we're just not that excited about it and say, no, somewhere in the middle of this, God is going to break in. Joy is going to break in. Right? And that's what we've been celebrating for the past few weeks, the Advent, the fact that Christ has come to redeem us from our, from our routinized um, heartbreak. But it's interesting how Zacharias and we as well can sometimes feel unprepared for this. And Zacharias, after being habituated to expectations getting less and less and less and less to such a point that he knew that there was no chance of having his longings filled, he and, and Elizabeth. He knew that the only way in which he could manage life was to put away those expectations and live life with a certain realistic view to the end. And that caused him to not receive joy. The way in which he managed his life was such that he would just not go for that, not go there, just not even look at, look at his longings, not even ask the question. And sometimes I feel in our modern age, what we have done is that we've, we've given up on anything deeper in our lives that could redeem our lives. And so what we go for is for short-term, short-term cravings being, being, uh, being met, entertain ourselves, feed ourselves, having short-term sensual pleasures, that's all. And sometimes we call that joy. I'm put it to you, God is better for you. So when, when, when the angel came to see Zachariah, Zachariah's insides, the, everything that militated against joy, even unconsciously, just rose up. And he said to the angel, no, 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 I need to be certain about things. I can't dwell in hope. I need certainty. How do you know, how can I know that I can be sure that this is going to happen? He couldn't help it. And I feel today, as we celebrate, the key thing is that God wants to heal our inability to long for God anymore. Because God is objectively coming in with blessings for you and I. He wants to bless you. Over and against your certitudes, your experience, your experience, 
He wants to heal the soul. And how does that happen? Let's have a look at this. The thing about it is that the angel came and the angel well knew all that he had experienced. Zechariah said to the angel, how will I know this for certain? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And don't forget, Elizabeth may be pregnant, but do you know she's actually at a dangerous age to get pregnant? What happens if she loses her life in this pregnancy? What happens if medically she can't bear this pregnancy? I could lose Elizabeth as well as the baby. He could have said all these things, but nothing's mentioned about that. All the angel said is this, you will have joy. And what happened is that Zechariah had to step out of all his experiences, all his negativity, all the real things that had happened that were disappointing. He had to step out and he had to step into longing, knowing that in he, as he did that, he's stepping into the presence of God. See, what the angel said is this. Zechariah, I am sent from God. I'm Gabriel. I stand where? In the presence of? Presence of God. So you see, angel is saying, I stand, I'm standing here next to your prayers. But next to your prayers is what? I'm also standing in the presence of God. The prayers that you pray are actually going to the presence of God. Isn't that amazing? That actually, when you are praying and you're willing to step out of your expectations, the low expectations, the ways in which you just manage and you just go for something lower, when you step out and say, God, I want something from you, Christmas, if this is really true, then you have something for me. I want to open myself to you. I get healed. The healing begins when we step out. And the angel is giving um, Zacharias a path to healing when he says, you know what? You pray. You open yourself. Don't close down your expectations. Allow yourself to long for me, for, for what God has for you. And you know what? You will be right there. I'm in the presence of God. But I'm also the presence, want you to know that the presence of God is where your prayers are as well. And the altar of incense was the place where Israel had to go through this exercise again and again, in which in spite of all their routinized um, disappointment, they had to come before God and to lift it up before the Lord. Every morning when you wake up, the old expectations, the lack of expectations will crowd into you. But every day you come up before the Lord, you go to the so-called altar of incense, the place of prayer, and you say, God, I want to push that aside. I want to be open to you. Lord, come. I want to invite you to come into my life and change me. The healing needs to happen in our soul. Our soul, some of us have experienced so much disappointment, so much hypocrisy, so much inconsistency, even from the church or from Christians. I want to understand, I want to say that that being the case, that being still valid, notwithstanding, God has more for you. And if you're willing to open yourself to God and say, God, I surrender myself to your purposes. Every day I'm committed to coming before you and pushing away all my routine 
um, ways of managing and, and, and lowering my expectations. I'm going to open, open myself to you for what you have for me. This means it's an altar. That means it means surrender. I surrender to you. I am in touch with my longings, but I surrender to you. I want more, Lord. I want more. I, want ju- I don't just want more for myself. I want more of you as well. Come and change my life. Come and redeem me. Amen? I want to give you an opportunity to do that as we bow down in, pr- bow down in prayer. Perhaps from some of us may experience Christmas for the first time in our life. And all we need to do is just open ourselves and say, God, I do realize all my ways of defending myself and protecting myself from disappointment. I'm not looking for an outcome only. I want the solid thing, the unexpected thing, the joy that comes to break open my low expectations. I want to invite you to put God to the test in some ways, to give Him a chance. For some of us, we've just shut down. What with COVID, Christmas can sometimes be the most painful time in our lives because we already had low expectations and COVID has just flattened them. I want to invite you to give your heart to Jesus and say, God, I want to come again at this. I'm opening myself not to circumstances of people, but to you. Come into my life. Come stand right where my longings are and I invite you to come. I surrender myself to you. Forgive me for the ways in which I block off what you have for me. I need you, Lord. I need you to make all the disappointment worthwhile. I need you to heal me of ways in which injustice has been forced upon me. I need you to come in such a way that if you promise that that joy will overcome my sorrow and my bitterness, then it has to happen for me. Only you can do that. It has to happen now if you're going to do that. I wonder how many of us want to experience Christmas in this way. When Jesus came 2,000 years ago, once and for all, he made provision, paid the sacrifice for that to be available to us. You don't have to pay any price anymore. It's been paid for you. You could not will it upon yourself. 
nor wish it upon yourself, nor even pray it upon yourself. It had to be all God doing it. And 2,000 years ago, when Jesus went to the cross, he sacrificed himself in place of all our disappointments. And all you need to do is to receive him into your life and say, yes, Jesus, I want you. If God's been speaking to you, as our eyes are closed, our heads are bowed, I want, to, I want you to just, by some indication, say yes to God. Say yes to God. That's the case. You just lift up your hands, maybe in the same way that I'm doing, or perhaps stand putting up and you say, Lord, I want that. I want you to come into my life. Come and change me. If you can do it that radically, then I want that. If there's, is there anybody who's saying, yes, Lord, I want that, come into my life. Come into my life and change me. I want you to redeem me from that. Just lift up your hand. You may want to do it this, this way, or you want to just put your hand up. Go ahead and just do that. Anyone? Yes. Yes. Anyone else? Go ahead. Just lift up your hands. It could be very, very private. I don't need to see that. You just do it to the Lord and you just open your hands up just like that. Yeah. I need you to heal me. I need you to heal me. I need you to come in in such a solid way that its reality is going to be bigger than all that I've suffered. It has to be worth it. If there's anyone else, you go ahead. Just lift up your hands. That's right. Save me from years and years of suffering, of um, attrition, of addiction of wasting my life. Save me from the effects of pain and wrong and violence that has been done to me. Save me from my own wrong decisions. Save me from my fear. Save me from the way in which I'm made. And I know there's something wrong with my brain, but save me from that. Save me from that. Anyone else? I want to give my life to you. So Jesus, we thank you for your presence. We commit myself to you. I'm going to pray a prayer for those of you who want to respond to God in this way. Lord Jesus, I need you. I'm now stepping out of my low expectations and I really don't know what you have for me. But you know my longings. Come and meet them. Even if it is not exactly as I want it to be. I give my life to you. Clear the board in my life. Forgive me for all my sins and my iniquities. and Make me righteous before you. I give my life to you. In Jesus' name. Amen.